I want you to open your Bible to the book of Job. Right before the book of Psalms is a little book of Job. Some say that Job is the oldest book in the Bible. I don't know. I'll just have to take their word for it. But I'll say this, that Job is one interesting book to read. You cannot read it if you read it and think about what you're reading. You cannot read it without thinking about it. There is so much about the book of Job that compels a person who reads it not only to wonder about it, to put himself in the place that Job was in, but a lot of questions are sometimes troubling questions come forth from Job until you get to the end of the book. But I want to talk tonight about when the righteous suffer. Not why do they suffer, but when the righteous suffer. Because if there's one thing that troubles church folks, it's why. A lot of people go through a lot of things. A lot of things happen to dedicated Christians. Things we don't think are necessarily right or things that should ever be. And when they happen, it's a troubling situation. We say, well, why? What did they do wrong? We usually go to that. What did they do wrong? But let's read just the beginning of Job here in the first chapter. Chapter 1 and verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz, or Uz, whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and avoided or eschewed or shunned evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. He had ten children. His substance was also 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, I would say that's a 1,000 oxen, and 500 donkeys, female donkeys, and a very great household. Now, I don't know how many that is. A very great household would obviously include servants and, and maids, but he had a very great household so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. Now that's our introduction to the book of Job to Job. Especially I want to call your attention to the four traits that define his character. The kind of person that he was, that God said he was. And I'm sure the kind of person we'd all like for God to say that we are too. God said he was perfect. Now perfect doesn't mean that he was without a flaw doesn't mean that he was sinless. Because the Bible says all men have sinned. All would include Job. And that there is none righteous, no, not one. But there are a lot of men, especially this man, who did his level best to live above wrong, wrong ways, sinful ways. As best he knew how, he prevented that stuff from coming into his life. The second thing is said about Job was that he was upright. King David was said to be upright. So he was a man of character who before God was clean. He had an upright righteousness about him that was because of the way he lived before the Lord. The third thing it says is that he feared God. 
He had a reverence for God that, I guess, dictated how he acted. He feared God. Uh, he didn't want to go against God. He wanted God on his side. He knew the benefits of it in the third verse. Fourthly, it said that he avoided or shunned evil. I suppose we could say that if there was any possibility that this is wrong, what you're looking at, you wouldn't look at it. If there might be something a little too spicy in what you're about to read, he wouldn't read it. If there was something suggestive or enticing about what he would see in people, he wouldn't look at people. In other words, we have a man here that is just a cut above everything we know. But that was Job. That's the way God defined Job. And Job was not only that, but he had, well, he said in verse 3, 7,000 sheep. That is a lot of sheep. 3,000 camels, which none of us can relate to that. 500 yoke of oxen, nor can we relate to that. Listen to me. 500 yoke of oxen means that 500 servants could plow at the same time. And you could cover a lot of ground, even with a crude Old Testament plow, if you had 500 yoke of oxen doing the plowing. They could line up in a kind of an angle and cover a lot of ground, plow a lot of ground up. But that was Job. This is how God defines him. And not only that, he said, but in verse 3 at the end of us, he said he had a very great household, that he was the greatest man in all of the east. So this is the kind of man we're dealing with. And as far as you and I are concerned, what we believe or what we think we believe or how we see living in this life, any man that would live that way and had God complimenting him that way would never have any problems. Why would he have a problem if he never sinned? He didn't sin. Doesn't say he was a sinful man. Doesn't say that he opened doors. It just said that he was a perfect man, a man who was upright, a man who feared God, and he shunned evil. He kept himself clean. And he had a great amount of wealth. He had a great reputation, and everybody knew who he was. Now, one day, as the story goes, down to verse 8, it says, The sons of God, which I assume are the angels, they came before the Lord, and Satan came amongst them. He himself was an angel. And verse 8, it says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that fears God and shuns evil? Would you like for God to say that about you? Would you? I would hope you would. I would like to think that we're trying to bring that forth in our lives. And yet this is what God called the devil's attention to. Satan. What do you think of Job? In all your travels, he said he'd been going to and fro in the earth. And God said, have you considered my servant Job? There's nobody else like him. Who else is perfect, upright? Who else fears me and reveres me like he does? And who else shuns evil, shuns the appearance of evil. 
Nobody else is like that. Now, the devil, as I have said many times in my life, does his very level best to ruin your life, your dreams and your hopes, to turn your world upside down, to discredit you, to discredit God, make you wonder whether or not what he said is true, whether you're hearing the right thing or not. After all, this is not working, and look at that, and look at this. And so the devil, knowing that man is vulnerable, he says in the next verse, he said, well, why wouldn't he be like that? Look at what he's got. And the devil, I would put it in my words, the devil said, I can't touch it. I can't kill, steal, or destroy this fella. I can't even do any damage to all of his possessions. All those animals, they all live. I can't even destroy his animals. That's what the devil does. And he said in verse 9 through 10, follow me. Does Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house? And about all that he has on every side, you have blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. That's the way it works. When God is blessing you, this is the normal Christian life. He says so. But he said, I'll tell you what, you put forth your hand on him and take away his blessings and then he'll curse you to your face. You see, the only reason Job even goes to church is because he's trying to find what he can get out of it. The only reason Job is living this holy life, as you call it, perfect, upright life, the only reason he's doing that is because he wants to get more of the same. He's figured it out, God. Whatever you're looking for, as long as he can do that, he's going to get this hedge about him. The hedge keeps the devil out. So he knows as long as he does that, that's the only reason he's really serving you. Because I tell you what, Lord, if you took away all of his toys and all of his blessings, and all of his camels are gone, and his sheep, and his donkeys, and, well, his servants, his help, he wouldn't be this special man on the earth. If you just do that to him, you'll find right away he's no different than anybody else. That was Satan's challenge. He fears you because you bless him. He's upright because you benefit him. His whole motivation for being whatever he is because he's getting something. His motivation for giving is he going to get back? He's not trying to help somebody or loving you by obeying you. He knows if he gives money, you promise you give, you'll receive. His heart's all about himself. It's not about you and all you've got. You've blessed him, yes. Nobody can deny that you got a hedge about him, and I can't touch him. Let me touch him, and you'll find out he is near the man you're saying he is. Now, would the devil ever challenge God like that? Would he ever challenge God about you? Would the devil ever say, well, yeah, as long as you bless him like that, yeah, he'll be on the front row. Sure he will. Yeah, he's got a smile on his face. Got it by, yeah. Take away his success. Make everything just slow down or fall apart for him. He won't even be at the back of the room. He'll be home. And he'll say, well, I don't know what good it was for me to trust the Lord. Everything I had is gone. That's what he'll say, Lord. Do you suppose the devil would ever think maybe you would too? Do you suppose the devil doesn't really believe you're as sincere as we'd like to think we are? 
We'll find out. You see, one of the things that the Bible says about God and his people, like in Psalms chapter 5, he said, Thou, O Lord, in verse 12, he said, Thou, O Lord, will bless the righteous. Thou will compass him about as with a shield. Now listen, this is a biblical truth. When a man wants to live right, he has the favor of God in his life. God said that he will compass him as with a shield. What does your shield do? Well, it keeps the fiery darts out of your life, doesn't it? Or the psalmist also said in Psalms 34, verse 7, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. And what do they do? They deliver him. So that whatever the devil's trying to do to overthrow a person's life or destroy and rob a person, spoil a person's life, God will not allow that. It may not look like he won't allow it, but he will not be able to allow that. The devil's not going to be able to do that. The Bible says we're kept by the power of God through faith. We're kept. K-E-P-T, we're kept. 1 Peter 1, 5, we are kept by the power of God. We are kept. I don't care what's going through the world, going through the land, destroying people, overthrowing people, dethroning, tearing down. The Bible says we are kept, K-E-P-T. We are kept by the power of God through what? Faith. What if a person is not exercising faith? Then he's still wondering what's going on. Because one thing that faith does in our life, when you've got faith in God, that what he says he really will do, it takes away all the worry out of your life. Even when the sun's shining too bright and dark days come, your faith can see through all of that. Because faith is the evidence of things not seen. Just like Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. The power that God puts in a man's heart who believes is to hold fast and keep going. And I believe Job had that because it says... That when the devil did attack him, here's what happened. He said in verse 12, he said, And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he has is in thy power, only upon himself put not forth thy hand. Did he say that? God said, What he's got, I will allow you to touch it. Can the devil do anything without God's allowing him to do it? What did he say to Peter in Luke chapter 22? He said, Simon, Simon, behold. The devil has desired you that he might sift you as wheat. The devil desires everybody in this room. And the only reason we're not all being sifted beyond our ability to overcome and hold on is because God is in charge. Jesus said, Peter, the devil has desired you so he can sift you as sweet. He wants to ruin your life. He wants to tear you down. He wants you to give up and lose hope and just draw back and be mad at the world the rest of your life. Just be mad. Have a scowl on your face and just look mean all the time. Those are the unhappiest people in the world. But that's what the devil does. And he said, but I have prayed for you, Peter. You know what he prayed for? I prayed for you, Peter, 
that what you believe you'll never let go of because that's all you'll have to get you through what you're about to go through. Jesus said, Peter, I'm not going to stop the devil from getting you. He's asked for you. One translation says the Satan has asked for you. He's petitioned, asked God for you that he might sift you as wheat. He had to ask. He couldn't just get him. He had to ask. Another translation says Satan has obtained permission. That seems to be the force of the wording in Luke 20. Peter, the devil, has, has gone before God challenging all these things you've been saying. All your, I'll do this. He doesn't believe you. Job, the devil doesn't believe you're all that the world says you are. The devil believes that if he can get his hands on you, everything about your life will change and everybody will see through you. It was the Lord who reminded the devil. What about Job? He said, well, let me have him. Take that hedge down. Let me have a shot at him. And he'll curse you to your face. Boy, that sounds pretty tough. But you know what the Bible also says? There had no temptation taken you. Taken. There's no temptation, no trial, testing, proving situation has taken you. Taken. Got his grips on you. Come into your life a moment where you're going to be tested. No temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. Why is it common to all of us? Because the devil, if he can, will sift every one of us until he can demonstrate or prove that none of us are worth anything, any blessing from God or any good because we're all the same. And the way he finds out and the way we find out is the sifting process. He said, no temptation has taken you, but such is this common to man. He said, but God is faithful. God will not allow you to be tested, sifted beyond what you are able to handle and deal with. And he says, he gives you the ability not only to bear with it, but to hang on through it. This is what God does for his people. If he didn't, we would all fall apart. Every one of us in this room would fall apart. If the devil was free to just get anybody anytime he wanted to, for any reason he wanted to, we'd all be doomed. Because as the Bible teaches, we're all weak. We have to cry out for strength to overcome even a trial. But God made us this way. We'd like to think we don't need help, but we all need help. Nobody in and of themselves is strong. Our strength comes from God. He made us that way. When we are weak, then calling upon him and his strength comes, then we're strong. But that's the way it has to be, and that's the way God wants us to be. Have you ever proven yourself in here? Have you ever had to prove yourself to be faithful? Have you ever had to prove that what you say you believe, you really believe? Have you ever had to prove by not giving up that you really believe in what you say you believe? You were put to the test and you're not done being tested. You said, I'll go through precious Jesus, I'll go through. I'm not turning back. No turning back. And what happened? Things fell apart. Things happened. Not because you sinned. 
Not because you had some sin that you was in the secret. You know why things fell apart? Because you said you wouldn't go back. How do you know you won't go back? How do you know you'll overcome? How do you know you'll endure to the end? You read that and you quoted that. How do you know you believe that? It's when the enemy comes in, that's what you're going to demonstrate. I'm not turning back. I'm going to hold on. How do you know you'll hold on? Well, you won't until this happens. Job didn't sin. There was no committing of a sin in Job's life that caused all of this to happen. It didn't say that Job was messing around or doing anything wrong. He had done nothing wrong. And yet, one day it said in verse 13, And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them, took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only have escaped to tell you all of this. Why? See, this is our question in Christianity. That's not right. What did these servants do that they had to die? Why would God allow this band of warriors to come into a righteous man's domain and do what they had never been able to do because of the hedge? Why did God take the hedge down? What great fault is found in Job? Well, it doesn't say any was. God has said that Job will not give in to whatever comes his way, even the loss of everything he had. Job won't quit. You know why? Because from his heart, in his heart, he is upright. He fears God with his heart. He's not motivated because he's getting stuff. He has a relationship with me. He shuns evil because of me. He lives a life of perfection, as unflawed as he knows how to live because of me. He's not going to give all of that up because of things that happen. The devil says, I'll show you that he will. The first thing that happens in verse 14 and 15. All of those things happened. Terrorism came. The devil came in like a storm, does whatever he could to destroy. Because that's what he does. He did to kill and steal and destroy. Did he do that because Job had sinned? Doesn't say Job sinned, does it? Where does it say he sinned? I don't think he was perfect in everything. I think that will be revealed in the test. But the test isn't about his being a sinner. This is not judgment. Judgment's because of a failing of some sort or a sin. But this wasn't judgment. This was the test of Job. The Almighty's confidence in Job. Put your finger here and go over there and come right back. John 9 and verse 2. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind, verse 1, from his birth. Now, he was born blind. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? 
Because you're not just born blind. There has to be a, a cause. There has to be some failing or sin somewhere. Because that's not right. What did Jesus say to him in the next verse? He said neither. But what? But the power of God might be seen? Can you imagine verse 7, wherever it was? It's somewhere in there. Are you telling me that God, even God who runs the earth, does with it as he pleases? Could allow a man to be born blind into this world so that at some point in his life, God would receive glory from the healing of his eyes? He didn't stay blind. He was blind for just a season, but God healed him. And he was glorified, and I'm sure many people turned to the Lord because of it. But he said, here, go back to Job. Verse 16. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven, and has burned up the sheep and the servants, and consumed them. And I only am escaped to tell thee. The fire of God, the Hebrew, is the fire from God. Lightning, bolt, thunder, I don't know. It doesn't say specifically. It just said from heaven there came some act of nature, which the insurance companies would say the fire of God. But it wasn't God who destroyed these people. God is not in the destroying business. He's in the saving business. It's the devil who comes to kill and to steal and destroy. And in verse 17, we have again more of the same. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said that Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away. And they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword and I only have escaped. Again, you've been robbed. Your servants have been killed. All your help is gone. So far, nobody has done a thing wrong. Verse 18, and while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped to tell you all about this. Now your children are gone. What'd they do wrong? How'd they mess up? Now they're dead. Not only them, but his great household, all of his servants. His camels are gone. His donkeys are gone. His sheep are gone. His oxen are gone. He's no longer a man of great wealth. He's been spoiled. The devil comes to kill and to steal and destroy I started reading Job last week. These first two chapters took a whole bowl of cereal to read because there's so much stopping and thinking. I ask the same questions I'm asking you, the same thing I said to you a while ago. I asked myself, why? What was it about all of this that caused so much consternation, catastrophe, and death and dying to take place? The devil loved it. All he has is crying. He had his Sabians and he has all of his little terrorist groups around the world that do his bidding. Anybody who has been on killing is an agent of the devil. 
That whole crowd in the Middle East whose religion is about killing is of the devil. I'd hate to think that our God told us to go out and kill anybody that didn't agree with us. What kind of glory comes from that? But he has people like that. He has people that do that. They can't do it to just whoever they please. They have to get permission. They're not able to just blow up anybody whenever they want to. They can't do that because God is in control. And here's Job. He just got all this information. Everything he had. I'm sure everything that was closest to his heart and his family is all gone. I've seen pictures of tornadoes. Just saw one recently in, uh, out in Nebraska. How a tornado went through a neighborhood and devastated everything. I mean, there's not even a roof left. I mean, just boards are splinters. And people being interviewed are telling, you know, we have lost everything. Now, they lost everything they had. He lost way more, but it was everything he had. Here's what happened. Verse 20, then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshiped. And he said, if this is what I get for serving God, I will serve him no more. If God is going to treat me this way after all the good things I've read in the Bible about how he takes care of his own and he's going to let this happen to me, then he can get somebody else to serve him. I'm through. Isn't that what a lot of people are expected to say? His wife said, curse God and die in the next chapter. That's just a view of the world. What good is it to serve God? You're not getting anything out of it. Look what you're losing. You don't have any friends anymore. Everybody's turned against you. They're talking about you. You're not whatever you used to be. What good is it to serve God? Or, Well, he said in verse 21, And naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed is the name of the Lord. Now, he said the Lord take away, but he didn't know any better. That's all he knew. Just like when they talk about the fire of God came down and destroyed them. Well, that wasn't God that destroyed them. It was the devil. Just like in Exodus chapter 12, remember God said, when I see the blood, I will not destroy. He goes on to say in Exodus 12, when you got the blood over your doorpost during the Passover, as the Hebrews are going out of Egypt, God said, I will not allow the destroyer into your house. He's in control. So he said here, I came from my mother's womb naked, and I will return there to the Lord. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In verse 22 it said, in all this, Job did not sin nor charge God foolishly. One translation says, in all of this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. And if we had gone to him like his three friends will, we would have sat there and said, Job, what's going on? Hey, Job, man, this is not right. We feel sorry for you, but man, there's something wrong with you. That's what the rest of the book is about. And you get involved reading it, and you want to argue with both of them. With Zophar and Bildad and the other guy, Job's counselors. 
and Job's answers and response. But, you know, in Job's response at the rest of the book, you begin to realize that Job needs refining. With whatever he knew and however he knew it and what he knew about God, he lived according to it. But when the test and the trial came, things came to the surface in his life that he wasn't aware of. They were character flaws, not sins, flaws, weaknesses, parts of his life that needed to change. Sometimes we think we're pretty hot stuff or we're pretty critical of other people. And we have comments and opinions about this and about that and blah, 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 blah. And we don't realize that that's wrong until one day God corners us, things happen to us, and we see how wrong we really are and how weak we are. Or you might think you're such a skillful speaker, and one day he shows you how terrible you are. I've been there. (laughs) It just shows you how that without God, you're nothing. But once you learn that, you no longer are promoting yourself. You're promoting him and his kingdom. And a kind of humility comes that God can use. I'm sure, Job, but boy, you read some of his responses He was pretty arrogant about some things. I am not wrong. You know, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Remember that? Oh, we love that. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. But the rest of the verse says, yet I will maintain my righteous ways before him. I know I'm not wrong. And what he was saying was, I haven't done anything to deserve this. This is not fair. And Job's friend says, it is fair. You're wrong. He said, I am not wrong. And they go at it like that until God comes in the scene in chapter 37. And God says, stand up. You know so much about what's right and wrong. Answer me. By the time God got through with him, we'll get to that in a minute. In chapter 42, all Job could do was put his hand over his mouth. He said, man, I am a picture of ignorance. I didn't know it was like this, but I do now. I thought I knew quite a bit, but I realized I know nothing. I thought I knew you. I've talked so much about you. I realized I don't even know who you are. I abhor myself. He said, I hate what I am and who I am. I see me now. Wouldn't that be good? Wouldn't it be good now for you to be before God, the kind of man he wants you to be? You've done everything as best you knew how before. Boy, he's going to add an element of humility to your life now that you really will be everything he wants you to be. Let's go back to Job chapter 2. Not only has Job lost everything, but again in in chapter 2 and verse 3, the devil comes at him again. God again calls his attention. Job said, what about Job, devil? He's quite a man, isn't he? In spite of whatever has happened to him, he hasn't changed his relationship with me. He's still a perfect man. He hasn't showed any indication he's not. He's still upright. He has shown no indication that he's not. He still shuns evil. He's shown no indication that he has not. And he fears God. Nothing about him is indicated otherwise. And yet he's broke and he has nothing. But he's still the man he was. He hasn't given up and quit. He hasn't complained about being a victim. Not fair. Why me? I don't know why. That. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He hadn't made a lot of noise. Hadn't looked for people's sh- shoulders to cry on. 
He just simply said, you know, the Lord gave, the Lord take away. I came without nothing. I'll leave here without anything, and I'm going to worship God. Wow, what a man. Chapter 2. How about him, devil? Devil said, yeah, well, I tell you what. You touch his body. Afflict him. Skin, you know. Afflict him some way physically. And you can be sure that he will curse you to your face. Now, I'm just reading between the lines now, as I'm given to do when I study. Because God said that he is a man in verse... Three, he is a man that will hold fast his integrity. He is a man who will hold fast his integrity. That is his truth and the sincerity of his uprightness. He's not playing games. This is his life. He's not putting on a front. He's not acting spiritual. He is. We call that honest and sincere life integrity or integrity of his character. And God complimented him with that. He said, he holdeth fast his integrity, even though you have moved me to spoil him. And the devil said, let me touch his body. Let me touch his body. So he said, verse 6, And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. You can't kill him. The devil can't kill anybody unless he has permission to. You've already seen that the power that is behind destruction and being robbed and cheated and losing, the power behind that's the devil. You just saw that in chapter 1. Now you're about to see that the power that is behind sickness and disease is the devil. People don't fight the devil today. You know, I think, this is my opinion... I think the Christian world, the Christian church, is almost blind spiritually about warfare. I don't think they know how to fight the good fight of faith. Here comes the devil with all that he has, and people just surrender to it. They don't know that you can fight back. How could you fight back? Because God gives you weapons. Didn't he say the weapons of our uh, warfare are not carnal? Didn't he? But he said, they're not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The imaginations you have, you got a picture that, you know, you're just going to be victimized. Your whole no, you don't have to be. You don't have to go to jail every time you do something right. You don't have to be beat every time you do. Sometimes it has happened. Wasn't Peter in prison once for... For doing something right? But the devil couldn't keep him there, could he? God sent an angel. Opened the prison doors. <laughs> they just opened up. The chains fell off. That's supernatural. Because while he was in prison, he refused to give in to this poor old me in this stinking nasty place. It just smells awful in here. And oh, why me? I'm trying to serve you, Lord. And while Silas was saying, if you'd quit casting out devils, we wouldn't have this. All of a sudden, they started singing hymns. Everything happened. They walked out of that room in Acts 16. The whole family got saved that night. See, you never give up. You never throw in the towel. 
It may look like it. In Acts chapter 23, Peter had testified before the Sanhedrin council about what he believed. And half of them were against him, and half of them believed he was all right. They believed in angels, and some didn't. And they descended on him, they grabbed him, they were fighting over him. I guess he got bruised and beat up somewhat. I don't know why they would, but these religious folks were just grabbing on him and yanking on him, and they had to send the army in to separate him. And the Bible says the night following, in Acts 23, Jesus appeared to Paul while he was in jail. And Jesus appeared to Paul. And you know what he said to him? Be of good cheer. Paul said, thank you that you're here. <laughs> Would you get me out of here? I got work to do. Jesus just said to him, you're doing a good job. I'm putting in my words. Be of good cheer, Paul. You're in the favor of God. Look at these bruises on my face. My hair is pulled out, you know. And Jesus said, you're going to go to Rome and testify there. And then you'll die there. I'll see you later. He's gone. He didn't get him out of jail, didn't relieve his pain, didn't take away his suffering, left him in a cold jail cell. Innocent. Didn't deliver him from it. But he blessed him and he was with him. That's maybe why Paul could write the things that he wrote about fighting the good fight of faith. Being a good soldier, I have kept the faith, he was able to say. I'm not disappointed in God. I'm not disappointed in this way that I have walked. I've lost everything as a Pharisee, all the prestige I had. I've been beaten and Three times I've been shipwrecked. I've been humiliated and lowered over walls and had to flee. I've been stoned. I'm not disappointed in the fact that all of this came to me because I preach. When Jesus knocked me off of that horse on the Damascus Road, he told Ananias to go pray for him. He said, for he must suffer great things for my name's sake. Jesus couldn't have picked anybody to do this. Most people today would have quit. How many people would have gone through what Paul went through and kept a good cheerfulness about him? Not many. I think a lot of people would be so disappointed in God if they didn't turn out the way they thought it was supposed to. Oh, it'll turn out on God's time. But there was Paul. In 2 Corinthians 12, he told them all that he went through. He said, and then he said, and Timothy said, I've kept the faith. I'm ready to be offered. I have a desire to depart and to be with the Lord. But it's more important for me to stay here with you. You folks need some help yet. You need some teaching yet. Let me share with you my experiences. I know what it's like to be cold. I know what it's like to be hungry. I know what it's like to be alone and without friends, to float in the ocean for a day. I know what all of that's like. You haven't done anything that I probably don't understand, but let me tell you something. And then he begins to encourage those people in the church. You're Christians. This world is not your domain. You're sojourners and pilgrims passing through this world. This is not where we're going to stay. We'll come back, but it'll all be changed. In the meantime, be of good cheer. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. When you encounter all of these tests and trials, 
This is an opportunity for you to prove to God that your heart is full of integrity. I'm not turning back. I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded. You mean even if it was a physical thing? Well, let's see what happened to Job. I know you're waiting on me to do that. Verse 7, so Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord, and he smote Job. What did he do? He smote Job with what? Boils. The devil's work physically is to bring pain, anguish, discomfort, misery, and finally death. And while all of that physical discomfort is going on, on a man's mind, he floods a person's mind with what good is it to claim healing? It's not working. Who do you know has ever gone through this and got healed? Huh? Then what makes you think it's going to work for you when it's not working for a lot of people that died? What did his wife tell him? Verse 9, what did his wife say? Then his wife said unto him, do you still retain your integrity? You still all spiritual? Curse God and die. That was the way she saw it. God was to be of some benefit to you. If you didn't benefit some way on this earth, materially or physically, then what good was it? Listen to me, all of you. Job's relationship, it proves at the end. Job's relationship to God wasn't a material relationship. It wasn't because of his physical well-being. It was because in his heart he wanted to walk with and know and please God. He just didn't understand at this time in the book what he would understand at the end of the book. The confidence that God had in him proved God to be right with his people. When God said, my sheep know my voice and they won't follow anybody else, does that mean that his sheep will never follow anybody else, though they're tempted to? Do you suppose it ever occurs to man that following somebody else is a better way than what you've been following because at least there's some promise over there and what you're going through just seems to be dragging around? You know, Christianity, will God let you drag? Of course he would. For a season, you're being tested. You're being proven. In fact, God wants to find out if you love him or not. You love the Lord, do you? Well, then you don't quit. You don't give up. Put your finger where you are. And go to the book of James. James chapter 1, if you don't mind, in verse 12, he said, Blessed is a man that endureth temptation. You might be going through it tonight, a testing. The devil's challenging your commitment to God and that confession you made about what God will do and what God has promised, and I'm believing God. You might find yourself not realizing, but the devil is challenging. He's contesting that. 
And God doesn't prevent you from being tested. But he said, blessed is a man that endures temptation. For when he is tested or when he has proven himself, what shall he receive? He shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those that love him. Your Bible say that. Blessed is the man that doesn't quit and give up and fall back. Look at verse 2 and 3. Blessed is the man that endures his trials. When you fall into different kinds of trials, what does it say? Count it all joy. And what do we do? Hey, I've been in this thing for a long time. I've had plenty of chances to give up and quit. I can only tell you that when I look back to where I would go, there was no place to go. And the prospect of continuing to walk through these dark valleys didn't really appeal to me, but there was no other choice. And one day you emerge through on the other side of the valley by the grace and the power of God. And you're a different person. Here you are 40 years later and you're still intact. The things once delivered to you are still there. They still work. They've been proven weapons in your life. Faith does work. Somebody, well, it didn't work. It works. If you want to know if it works or not, ask people that have it who've been through some of these dark valleys in their life. Some of these all-night vigils that they've had to deal with things in their life. Or the loss of a loved one. How many times would you suppose that a preacher would ever have thoughts that would contest or challenge what you're preaching? All you need is one funeral. You come back from one funeral and you're by yourself. You can't get away from your thoughts because God deals with you there too. And all these thoughts the devil brings to your mind, what good was it? didn't work, blah, 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 blah. And all you have to say is, if God said it, it is so. I don't care what happens to whoever, I know that what God says is true. God is not a man. The basis for my faith, God is not a man that he should lie. Neither is he the son of man that he should repent. If he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll make it good. Now, that's all I got. You put to the test, Lord, if I die, I die. But I will die saying you're altogether right. I'm altogether wrong. I came into this world with nothing. You brought me to you with nothing. And everything I have, you've given to me. And I'm not willing to give it up because things aren't going well. I'm going to hold fast. That's all I got. I'm not, I'm not willing to turn back. There's something about, there's something about, to me, there's something about the testimony of people that I have known who are steadfast and immovable, who really do abound in the things of God. They have not grown quiet. They have not drawn back to some distant, like Peter seeing what the end would be with Christ, had drawn back. They've stayed put. Yes, the thoughts come about why. The thoughts come, how come? 
the thoughts are there. That's not right. That's not fair. Why doesn't this work? Why isn't it not working? Just because it hasn't worked yet doesn't mean it's not working. Amen. I'm on God's side. Can I answer all your questions? Absolutely not. I can't even answer the ones in Job. But this is a book which speaks to a searching man or woman's heart. I challenge you to read it. It'll take you a few days if you read it right, if you read it slow, and you ponder what Job is saying, and then you ponder what these three buddies were saying, and you wonder, you know, what's going to happen here? I mean, I see why Job is upset. I can see why Job is just so frustrated with his three friends. I mean, this man's got boils. Commentaries give you different versions of what kind of disease he had. There are boils that are just all over your body that make your skin rough and dark and is never without pain. There's nowhere you can sit. You're sitting on boils. You're laying on boils. How do you sleep? There's weeping, huge boils everywhere. I've never had a boil. I've seen them, and I know what they look like, and what if they were everywhere? Let me ask you a question. Where do those boils come from? Would you agree with me that the devil is the author of boils? What about other physical problems? Yes, there are problems that doors are open to. We call that sin and judgment. Sometimes chastisement. But this is not a book of chastisement. It's not a book of judgment. It's a book where a man's faith proves God to be right about his people. What if he said, the devil, so-and-so, Thomas will never fail? Isn't that true? He won't. And one of the reasons he won't is because God is in such charge with his divine hedge that the devil will never be able to do anything more than what God allows. And everything that does happen, he is equipped with God's word to handle it. So whom should I fear? And what should I be afraid of? Romans 8 says, if God be for me, who can be against me? No, life is not a cakewalk. This world lies in wickedness, the Bible says. We are hated of all men, us and Israel, are hated of all men in the world. Without cause. Did they hate Jesus? What sin did he commit? He was tempted in all points like us. He's not because he did something wrong, but because he represented something right, and the devil challenged everything about him. If you be God, throw yourself down. Turn these stones of bread. Worship me, and I'll give you the kingdom. He was tempted just like we are. But he never sinned. He never gave in to all of that. He grew. He learned just like we're supposed to. And he was despised. The whole world in his day, except, well, some of his disciples were close. The world hated him. He came back from the dead and they still won't believe him. This book you're holding in your lap tonight is a personal word from God to you. And people still won't believe it. But somebody will. And those somebodies who will, will never give it up. You know why? Because they're his. 
If God engraves you on the palm of his hand so that no man can take you away from him and he'll never forget you, then that's where you're going to be when eternity comes. You're going to be in the palm of his hand. Job happens to show us how it can be with us. It's not because we sin that difficult things happen. Nobody wants to be like Job. All the stuff he had, all the, they liked to have his equipment and all of his toys, but when all of that's gone, what do you have? It's just a broken down, I don't know how old he was. He's just a broken down man sitting on an ash heap. He's lost everything he has and his wife can't stand him either. He looks awful, he probably smells awful, and there he is, not even an image of what he used to be but a broken down, smelly old man who still will not give up his integrity, even though everything is going wrong. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Where is that today, right now, tonight? Where is that in the church? The church is looking for a free lunch. And God is looking for people that have put their hands to a plow in the hot sun with the understanding that if you look back, you're not fit for where we're going. Because you can't plow backwards, you gotta go forward. And there's stumps and there's rocks. It's not gonna be easy. You're gonna have those days, they're gonna come. But you keep your hands on the plow. And just remember this, you're never alone. You're never by yourself. Look at verse six, again. In verse 6, the Lord had said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand. He's in your hand. Who is the author of sickness? Matthew 17. Remember the father had a son who was said to be lunatic. Remember that? And he said, and he is sore vexed, and oftentimes he falls into the fire, and oftentimes he falls into the water. Who's trying to kill his son? The devil. Who's the author of lunacy? Well, that explains the media. I mean, uh, uh, excuse me. Somebody that's impaired and can't think right and can't function normally or right. Who do you think's behind that? You think God made you like that? I don't think so. I can't answer all of those questions either. But I know in that one story in Matthew seven seventeen, the man simply said to the Lord, he said, Lord, have mercy on my servant. He's a lunatic. He didn't mean that as a comedian statement. He said, Lord, my son is a lunatic and he's mentally and physically impaired. And sometimes he's thrown into the fire. Sometimes he's in the water. I stay with him all the time or he'll be killed because the devil's trying his best to take him out of my life. You know why the devil could not destroy the child up to this point? Because there's a day appointed in time that God was going to heal this boy and set him free. And Jesus told the spirit to come out of him because there was a spirit in him. And the spirit came out of that boy. It says in verse 18, and Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. How would that father feel? Like the woman with the issue of blood. How many years? I mean, how loathsome must that be? have been there's no relief there's no cure 
There's no way this can be stopped. You're going to live like this the rest of your life. Nobody wants you around them. According to the law, you're unclean. All the days of your life, you're like a leper. You've got an issue. And as long as you have an issue, you're unclean. She spent all that she had on whom? On the physicians. Nobody could help her. There was nothing known to man, nothing that the Egyptians had ever concocted in their medical foundations or the Greeks. But she heard about Jesus. Who knows that this woman didn't go through all these difficult times for one divine moment in the presence of God when all she would do is touch the hem of his garment. Bam. Everything ceased. It stopped. The fountain dried up. She was normal again, just like a normal woman. And Jesus said, who touched me? His disciples said, everybody. It was a pretty tight crowd. He said, no, somebody touched me and virtue, power went out of me. And the woman began to weep. She wasn't allowed in public like that, but she was there because of Jesus, just like a leper. Just like throughout the pages of the New Testament, men that had nothing but I believe who were destined to appear in the pages of the Bible to receive something from God so that we can read it and take heart, have our faith increased because of it. Praise God. I look at Job's chapter 1 and 2 and I think, oh man, deliver me from any of that. But I look in Job 42, whoo, go back to Job 42. How many of you believe that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power? Who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. How many of you believe that in the Bible there was a daughter of Abraham who had been bound for years and when the Lord healed her, she was set free? You believe that? She was bound. It says here in chapter 42, after God has gotten Job's attention. Now Job, the man with all the answers, the man who stood his ground and would be in your face with his righteousness. He said it. I mean, you have to read it. And God said to him, he said, you know, you stand. Let me just say this in chapter 40 and verse 2. This is what God said to Job. Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? And he that reproveth God, answer me, Job. I'm not fair. This is not right. Stand up, Job. Answer me. You got all the answers. You can tell me who made the worlds and, and how the alligator got the skin and the elephant got his trunk and the birds fly and the wind blows and the rain falls and the oceans. Tell me, you know so much. Job came to the realization, I am ignorant. I know nothing. I thought I was a pretty spiritual man, but I realized I'm pretty ignorant. When he got through, he said in chapter 42 and verse 1, then Job answered the Lord, I know that you can do everything and that no thought can be withholding from you. You know everything I've thought before I said it. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? God accused him of that. 
Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. How many times have we? How many times have we done it? I'll tell you one thing. Well, I'll tell you how many times. I've uttered things I understood not, things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. In verse 5, he said, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Would you say that Job learned something through his trials? You have to. You have to. Let me ask us a question here tonight. What have we learned in the trials we went through and we didn't try to get out of and then have to go through it again someday? What have we learned? Have we come to a place where we are mature now? Knowing that God is in charge, confident that God is in charge, having faith that no temptation shall come to me, but what God allows and whatever comes, I can handle it. Have we come to that? Or do we still sit back and say, oh, I hope that never comes. That's not Christianity. That's not the way God wants us to be. Fear doesn't belong to us. God has not given to any of us a spirit of fear. And the remedy for fear is faith. Fear says, in essence, God cannot. Faith says God already has. Fear says, oh, what would happen? Faith says God is faithful. He'll do what he said. He's got me and all of his people in the palm of his hand. He's even given me a promise. No evil shall befall me. No plague come nigh my dwelling. Is that a promise? Do you believe it? Do you? Of course we do. If we believe that he's going to take care of us and secure us and sustain us, then what's all the insurance for? Are we so in tune with the world that the fear that it has of all of its diseases, we have it too? Or maybe that somebody once told you, yeah, well, I went through that. I did that once. But I'll tell you what, when trouble came, we lost everything. Well, then let's say this, that God may have said he'll do something, but he really won't. So you really need to do what the world's doing and arm yourself and equip yourself with whatever they offer because, you know, God could change his mind. He may not do what he said. And if that's true, let's go home. I'm done. If that's true, I'm out of here. I got no hope because faith is not a factor anymore. But if you tell me that what things ever I desire when I pray to believe that I have received them, that God will honor this word above his name, that's going to work for me. But I don't know that it'll work until what? Until it's been proven. No wonder the Bible teaches us to endure hardness. That he that endures to the end shall be saved. It's difficult. Everybody wants to quit. Look for an easy way. A comfort zone of some sort. You know, some free male religion. All of this is an option to a lot of people. But for some, it's a way of life. I've committed myself to the Lord and his way for which I'm here to learn about.
because I can't live it if I don't know it. But as I know it and I learn it and God puts the reality of it in my heart, that's the basis for my faith. And I believe as long as I hold fast to that, that God will deliver me. Said he would. Sorrow may endure for a night. Difficulty may endure for a night. Troublesome, painful moments. Who hasn't had them? Who in here hasn't had them? Who in this room has not had at least a time in your life since you were a Christian of mental anguish, stress, confusion, some kind of a aggravation that you just, just want to blow up? Who hadn't been there? And you're still here. Something worked. Something is working. And as you read the book of Job, not only does God bless you and deliver you from all these things, they may come, but they also go. But God also said these things about him. Verse 12 So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. Now, notice this. For he had 14,000 sheep. What do you do with them? I don't know, but he had them. 6,000, not 3,000, but 6,000 camels. Not 500 yoke, but 1,000 yoke of oxen. And 1,000 girl donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. He had it restored. What if I told you tonight in closing? Not just personal. I mean, after 40 plus years of living this way, there's been times, there's been moments. Everything looked uncertain. Looked bleak and dark. The devil says, you know, you're getting older. And when you get older, things begin to decay and fall apart. And you're going to need and as this is gone and that's gone. And so he begins to tell you that God could take care of it when you're young, but he can't take care of it when you get older. Or that God would take care of you while you're young. But you know, when you get older, you have no promise that he'll take care of you. You don't have read your Bible much. He said with long life, what does he say doing it with long life? Well, what? Is that still in the Bible? Would you turn to Psalm 91 so I can go home? Psalms 91, look at the last verse. Verse 16, with long life, what will God do? Now listen to me, all of you. I don't care what happens between now and then. The promise that must stand is that with long life, I will satisfy him. The option would be if God sent you somewhere and told you, like in the book of Revelation, you endure trials for so many days and then then you're going to die. That would be different. But you know what he says to me and you? With long life, will I satisfy you. Dark days, they'll be there. Difficult days, they'll be there. Anguish, they'll be there. Pain, misery, yes, all of that. All of that will come in your life to be sure. You're going to find out what you believe. You're not going to get off easy. But in the end, in the end, God will prove himself to you to be everything he said he was. With long life, will I satisfy you. 
Let me close by saying this. You know why he does this in verse 14? You know what causes all this to happen? Because you what? Because you set your love upon him. I can't go back and preach that sermon all over again. He said, but because he set his love upon me, therefore, I will deliver him. I'll set him on high. I'll answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. I will deliver him. I will honor him. And I'll give him long life and satisfy him in long life. Amen. So, when you do suffer in this life, for all that live godly shall suffer, remember Job. It's not because he sinned. It's not because he was under judgment. Not because Job was being chastised. Job was proving himself to be what God said he was. Will you? Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus. I pray that you'll bless your word to each of our hearts, that we will receive it and believe it, not because I said it, but because of what you've said. I ask you to minister to every need that is in this room tonight, especially confidence that you do care about us, that you do watch over us, that you do keep us. That the faith you gave us that activates all of this really does work. Put that in our hearts. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.